Sports in Jewish History Hi everyone, welcome to the Halftime Snacks Podcast, a place where you learn about interesting topics in sports, business, technology, and everything in between. Let's get to it! podcast guest for the halftime snack is one of the hardest working humans I know a digital marketing guru from Miami who's now running the most trendy Jewish history project on planet earth he's also recently started the two tall Jews podcast where you learn more about Jewish history in one hour than what you did in high school this man is known for his passion towards Judaism and Israel and he's here to talk with us about sports in Jewish history ladies and gentlemen Mayor Grunberg, how are you doing, brother? I'm great, Ronan. Wow, what a what an introduction. I've never been introduced that way, so it's the first, <laughs> and uh, I'm definitely, I'm even more excited than I was when we started the call. Well, I'm, I'm very happy to have you in today's podcast, and so how about we start off by you telling us a little bit about your project. I started the On This Day in Jewish History Instagram page about a month and a half ago, almost two months. And it was really, it's really just a passion project. I love Jewish history and I wanted to create content that I love and that I don't feel like I am working to create. It just comes easy to me. And I was also you know, able to educate people, Jewish friends, the Jewish community, even the non-Jewish community about minor events and major events. And it just became a fun thing that now is growing more and more every day. And I love it. Man, that's fantastic. I, I really love it. And, and what's, the, what's the ultimate goal? What, what are you guys trying to achieve? It's really just about being able to exercise a passion and being able to show it and, in an organized and nice uh, researched way. And then also to essentially create the podcast show that we recently launched, the Two Tall Jews show that is an associated podcast to the Instagram page, but we'll go, we go deeper into the different things that we touch because there's so many topics. There's so much nuance that you can't cover in an Instagram caption. That's great. And so I want to start off today's interview by talking about the role of sports amongst Jews before the establishment of Israel, right around the beginning of the 20th century, maybe late 19th century in Europe. So how, how did it all begin? The spread of the clubs that we know now today as Maccabi, Hapoel, um, you know, these are, these, are, these are, you know, household names in terms of uh, Jewish sport clubs. It really started as a way that for Jews in Europe, particularly Western Europe, and ironically, Turkey, it allowed them to, to integrate and to be, you know, involved in society. You know, there's a common thing, especially in Europe in the 20th, 19th century, where Jews were just excluded. You know, they, they would get really high in the rankings of society and then they would be like, oh, no, sorry, you can't get you can't enter this club because you're Jewish. So it added another layer of, okay, we're being excluded. So let's just create our own clubs because we can't we can't enter the regular clubs. We can't we're not allowed into the regular sport clubs. So, you know, we're going to have to create our own club. And you saw the same thing in Hollywood. 
Jews that moved to America and wanted to be involved in the, in the film industry in New York and Chicago. They said, no, you can't because you're Jewish. So what did they do? They moved out to California and they literally created Hollywood. Same thing with Mount Sinai Hospital. You can't enter our hospital. What are we going to do? Okay, we're going to create our own hospital. So it's the same idea. You can't enter your sport club, but we're going to do, we're going to create our own sport clubs. So how did the Jews start to integrate themselves to sports? Like what, how, how did the process look like? Because a few weeks ago in, in, in the first podcast we had here in the Halftime Snacks, we talked about a little bit about racism in sports. And back in the early 1900s, black Americans were also excluded from sports in the same way that you're mentioning. So it was interesting to see how a couple of winners back in the time were some of the factors that influenced the inclusion of black athletes in society. I wonder if that happened the same for Jews or how, how, how the integration began, how, what, what was the process? It's very connected to the birth of Zionism because for the first time in 2000 years, the Jewish people had a common national identity that they could resonate or that they could begin to resonate with no matter where they were, in Europe, in America, in the, the, the uh, Ottoman-occupied Palestine at the time. So the, the ability to, to you know, begin to get together and to talk about things such as returning to Israel, they created youth movements. Those youth movements would educate them on the different aspects of, you know, of what Zionism was all about. And in order to sort of uh, create a camaraderie, they, they created sport, those sports clubs within those youth movements. So, you know, it's, it's, and it grew together with Zionism because at first Zionism was almost a, a pipe dream. It wasn't real. You know, there's no way that we're going to all get together and move back. A lot of Jews actually were against it um, because they thought, you know, what are you doing? You're just going to get people to hate us even more. They already hate us as it is. So, the, you know, It took a while, but by, by the 20s, it was when, when it became more of a reality and, and a lot of people started to move to what was then called Palestine. The, the, the youth movements grew, and along with the youth, movement, the youth movement expansion, so did their sports clubs that, that they created and, and that were associated with those movements. Yeah, that, that's, that's really interesting. And I'm intrigued. I want to dive a little bit deeper on understanding those youth movements because from what I remember from my high school uh, classes, I remember that these youth movements were created around political ideals. They had like uh, an ideology surrounding either Zionism or Judaism. And so my question would be, how would you explain to someone that does not understand about politics, how these themes represent what the youth movement were trying to communicate, their message, their ideas? Good question. So it was really connected to this, you know, this brand new innovative concept within the Jewish community in the late 19th century, early 20th century, where they wanted to break off this shell of the ghetto Jew, where it's, I don't want to be this weak Jew that is subjugated and excluded. And I want to be the, I want to be the master of my destiny. I want to literally be the new Jew. And that became a concept that became known as, you know, the, the Jews that are moving to Palestine, who were at the time called Palestinians, those were the new Jews. They were strong. 
they were, you know, they, 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 they didn't look like the Eastern European, you know, bearded, ancient looking Jew. They were new. <laughs> and in that sense, they were, they, you know, they, they also divided into what you're saying, into these factions, into these groups. Uh, you know, it became political. So you had groups on the left that were more labor socialists and you had groups on the right that were more capitalist, private, uh, you know, private industry oriented. They, they fought in a sense of, is a competition of power because at the time they weren't, there wasn't a government, there wasn't a state, there wasn't a, a common voice for the entire nation. So it literally was a struggle for power. Who is going to be the group that's in control of these new Jews? Or who's going to lead these new Jews to actually build the state? Because we're talking about the 20s and 30s, right? When it was controlled by Britain after World War I. And there was a lot of, you know, the Nazi rise in Europe. There was a lot of, there was a lot of question marks. People weren't sure if Zionism was even real. So there was really a struggle for power. And that struggle for power was sort of, um, highlighted through these sports clubs because they would compete and they would, you know, they, it was a way for them to learn Hebrew also, which was coming back for the first time in 2000 years in a real way. The, com the combination of moving to Israel with these groups to work the land, to buy land, to, you know, to, to reclaim the land and then also play sports as a connection to it, sort of um, like a metaphor to what was going on. Right, because in a sports game you have competition. Literally, you have a single game where you have to compete. So you had Beitar Yerushalayim, which was the right-wing Jabotinsky revisionist Zionism's ver Zionist versus Hapoel Hatzair, who were left-wing labor playing against each other. Not only were they competing against each other on the, on, the, on the court, but they were literally competing in power to see who was going to be, you know, the leader of the new Jews. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. I wonder if during the games they used to, you know, trash talk with like, you know, you laborist, you suck, you know. <laughs> that would have been crazy. But how how did it exactly change after the establishment of the Jewish state? Because Israel transformed itself from being like a, a very egalitarian to a more capitalist society. So I wonder how the character of these teams uh, shifted or changed or what, what was the new character adopted by the teams once the establishment of the Jewish state like once it, it was unified in a single country how would you describe the adoption of a new character after the establishment of, of Eretz Israel essentially when we talk about that power struggle the ones who came out on top were the labor the labor groups on the left the Habodah Mapam Right, the Ben Gurion, Golda Meir, uh, th th those are the ones that came out on top, and essentially they created a the an, a very nationalized government. A lot of the things in early forty, in early fifties, sixties, Israel was was very nationalized. The healthcare was nationalized, right? Transportation was nationalized. Almost everything was nationalized. Very little private industry. So obviously, sports was also nationalized. A lot of these teams became integrated into certain cities. And they became part of the government almost. And it wasn't until the 80s and 90s with a more right-wing governments and a, a more of a capitalist shift in Israeli society that these, these teams were, were bought out by, by rich, you know, 
entrepreneurs or you know rich businessmen international jewish businessmen who came and said hey you know i would love to make maccabi tel aviv or hapol yerushalayim i would love to make these teams into you know a private industry sort of like what other countries have and, and let's create our own leagues and you know let's play with europe and you know very soon israel was competing at the highest level against european teams and maccabi tel aviv is you know historically one of the best teams in that league yeah that's that's fantastic i think that summarizes it quite perfectly what's the connection today between israeli sports organizations and political ideologies like do they still fight for what they believe are their ideals a a significant unit of measurement for what they stand for and what they want or is it just like sports independently of like political ideologies so it's definitely not independent You know, you see, it's. I think it's more symbolic nowadays, as opposed to a a a, a certain power struggle. As a, you know, before in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, it was probably like, oh, if we lose this game, you know, it could really influence the way people see our group. Nowadays, it's more like, oh, I don't like you because I don't like your team, and also I probably don't like your political opinion. And but it's more symbolic. Um, Unfortunately, teams like Beitar Yushalayim have been known to, to be, you know, racist in the stands and, you know, they're very anti-Arab and, you know, you don't like to see that because, you know, the Arab population of Israel is a part of our future and we can't deny their presence and existence. So, it, you know, it's sad to see when that sort of political, that, that negative political stuff gets seeped into sports in the way that it does sometimes. You know, you'll see that anywhere, right? Uh, European soccer has a say no to racism campaign. And, you know, because sports is a place where people go to, you know, forget about things like politics. They, it's, it's a break. It's, a, it's not a place where they want to talk about these things. So when you go to a game and, and these political ideologies seep in to the way the chants in the crowd, it, you know, it turns people off. And, you know, that... It's not good for business. It's not good for the sport. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree with you in here. And so I, I want to touch a little bit on, on Maccabi games because I think those Maccabi games were a connection between Jewish uh, athletes in the diaspora, uh, meaning outside of Israel, and the Jews in Eretz Israel. So, mm -hmm. so what was the process through which Maccabi games became sort of like This, this link between the two communities. I think this goes back to what we were talking about. It happened in the, in the late 20s, early 30s, right? The first ever Maccabiya. Um, it's really connected to, you know, the spread and the success of Zionism as a political ideology, as a, as a national liberation movement for the Jewish people. And it, it was very connected. So, you know, if you could, if Maccabi sort of understood that and they saw that, okay, we can connect this concept of Zionism with sports, you know, two things that clearly, you know, are popular and easily digestible, then we can create this unified idea of, you know, almost like a, a, a tournament of Jews all over the world. And why not take advantage of this up and coming Zionist, you know, movement and, this ever-growing, more real, everyday Zionist movement, 20s and 30s saw the biggest increase of, of Jewish people moving to, to Israel, to, to then Palestine. So 
they they sort of I, I think it was I think it was you know it was a business decision they made where they said you know let's let's take advantage so we can create you know this successful tournament and you know to this day it's still successful they play you know they play every year you get you get Jews from all over the world from all the JCCs coming together and playing and it's fun and it's a place where you know you can meet people you can network you can you can play your sports you can compete and it's just I mean that, that that's the thing about sports is it's it's a common ground and that's why everybody loves the World Cup that's why everybody you know loves tournaments because it's a place where you get to just display your skills have fun and build teamwork and teamwork's the best yeah i i agree totally and and i think there's somewhere i read that maccabi games are the second biggest sport event after the olympics in terms of athletes participating in the world that's 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 quite an achievement um and i think maccabi's idea of uh you know uniting jews from the diaspora and bringing them to israel you know to compete in a friendly you know environment it's it's just fantastic right it just uh you know expresses what what um you know zionism stands for and i think sports is just uh the best excuse you know to get together with with people with the that share background uh with you and they love it you know i hope one day i can participate in ping pong with with uh with you mayor <laughs> just to 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 close out i want to ask you one last question mayor which one would you say is the most influential character in jewish uh sports history and and why that's a good question i might be a little biased and in terms of uh you know the sport because i i would pick i would pick a player from baseball I, it was it's a tie with me between hank greenberg and sandy kofax I would definitely go with Hank Greenberg. You know, he's known as the first ever super Jewish superstar. You know, he was MVP. He still holds in the, in the, he played for the Detroit Tigers in the 20s and 30s. He still holds the record for most RBIs hit in a season with 183. Nobody's ever going to break that probably and he played 154 games that season, so it wasn't like, you know, nowadays like to say, "Oh, those records don't count because they don't, you know, they don't, you know, the pitching probably sucked." And it's probably true the pitching did suck, but um Hank Greenberg you know he's still the first ever Jewish superstar uh he had to deal with a lot of anti-semitism America it has its history of it especially in the 20s and 30s he was one of the first players to greet Jackie Robinson on the field they played together so yeah it's definitely and he also happens to have the same exact name as my dad that's that's amazing mayor <laughs> well, I want I want to thank you very much for being the first official guest of the halftime snacks this this snack was amazing it was great it was insightful and i really appreciate it mayor and i hope we can make it we can make it again sometime soon yeah dude thank you so much for having me thank you for listening to this episode of the halftime snacks If you liked the episode, please share it with a friend. If you want to listen to this or any other episode again, you can log into my website and find the archive right there. Thank you and see you next week.